It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. This is the Final Word Cricket Podcast with just Adam Collins this time around with an interview I've recorded with actor and writer Patrick Brammel. For the benefit of those of you who might have found this podcast over the last six weeks or so, from time to time, we like to speak to guests from outside of cricket who love the game and Patrick is just that. Uh, at the moment, he's riding the wave of some enormous success both in Australia and the UK with Colin from Accounts, the show he both wrote and starred in with his wife Harriet Dyer. It's an absolute gem and has been recognised accordingly, which has seen both of them nominated for a stack of Logie Awards next week, including, in Patrick's case, the gong for Australia's most popular actor, which is pretty cool. Uh, as it relates more directly to us, he's been an enthusiastic tweeter, shall we say, during the current Ashes series, playing his shots as any good fan does. Uh, and he's also a great mate of Adam Zwaz, who was on the show last year, talking about his own life as a creative and a cricket nut. Uh, with all of that in mind, I had a feeling this was going to be a lovely chat, and so it proved. Enjoy. Patrick Brammel, who is an actor who's extremely busy at the moment. He's everywhere. Among other things, he's uh, being nominated for uh, a number of Logies that are being decided a week from now and loves cricket. Been tweeting about the Ashes throughout. Um, your last tweet is celebrating Australia retaining the Ashes, to put it into context. Um, thanks for coming on and joining us on The Final Word. It's my absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Talk us through, you're in LA at the moment, so what's it like watching the Ashes from that time zone? I mean, we all have that very familiar experience of listening through the night on radio, watching till three or four in the morning, or being in the UK, as I'm lucky to be doing at the moment, but what's it like in America? It's pretty weird. Um, it's, I've had, a, I've had because I've, I've been in LA now for about six years, and so it's been hard for me, because growing up, cricket was such a sound of summer thing, you know, and that's a fairly common refrain. And so it's, it's weird doing it out of season, Mm. Um, particularly all the different, you know, I mean, I grew up with one, one day is in Tess, like that was it. And now there's IPL and T20 and all sorts of stuff. And it's hard for an, uh, an older gentleman such as myself uh, <laughs> to keep up with all the fangled uh, new forms of the game. So for a while, it was just hard to keep track of anything. But when the Ashes come around, I made sure I had 
a, a direct link. I've got this sort of um, set top box thing that feeds me Australian TV now through some circuitous set of circumstances. Right. And um, so I get up now at six when the ashes is on and I'll get the last couple of sessions of the day, which has been perfect for this whole series because it's all come down to the last session yeah. of, the, of the test. It's been brilliant, except obviously for the last test, but it had the silver lining, of course, retaining the ashes. So I wasn't unhappy with that. Yeah, I, I get that. So as I said, like you used to watching it at night, but waking up in the morning and being fresh to it. And, and uh, yeah. I think we, when we had Will Anderson on a couple of years ago, he said a similar thing about watching when he was having his time in, in the States and it being more mm. a morning, an early morning thing for him, whereas yeah. growing up, it's more a late night thing. And, uh, you know, it's, yeah. quite relate, it's quite relatable, isn't it, for, for people who are busy with other stuff. And I've been in that part of my life when I wasn't able to invest a lot into cricket. But the ashes is such a familiar thing that you slip straight back to where you left it off. Straight back in. I love it. I love just waking up and just getting on the couch. Cause my daughter wakes up about seven, seven thirty, or maybe six thirty. I'll go and give her a dummy, and then I'll slip back to the to the to the <laughs> test on the couch. And then I have the I have the bonus because it's a, because it's a feed to Australian like Channel Nine. I get this these Australian ads, which just is like you know I talk about <laughs> clicking back in. It's like Australian ads are the best ads because I grew up with them. You know, so you've got you've got these ridiculous jingles. You've got I tell you what I've been impressed by the uh, the latest Tui's campaign. They've really gone a throwback to the how do you feel? And it's like the look of it and everything. It's very blokey. I thought, have they dug one up from the from the from the back catalogue here? But no, it's clearly fresh. But they've really gone for that early eighties vibe, and I've appreciated it here in LA for sure. Oh. I think that depends which age you get, depending on which like which city you grew up in. Like you're yes. you're a Canberra boy originally, right? Canberra boy, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got. I wish I'd grown up in Vienna or something. I would have all sorts of incredible snippets of music of the spheres in my head. But instead, I've got Hulman Court nonstop shopping <laughs> in the heart of a Western Creek, and and that go, <laughs> I've got there's two verses there that I can do that will never leave my brain. Yeah, again, that's, that's something I think we can all that's, identify that's with. That's Cambridge. But yeah, I'm getting the Sydney feed here, so I'm, I'm not I'm not mad about it. Yeah, I, I'm a bit of an apologist for Canberra. I lived there for six years, and I, I feel like yeah. I feel I've called like by I, choice professionally. But yeah, by choice professionally. But I, I've always felt like it gets a bad rap. Like it's, it's, the, the cliches of Canberra don't stack up, and it actually is a really nice place to live. But maybe that is informed by when I lived there, and it had been a bit more developed by that stage. Like when when were you growing up? When when's your kind of Canberra era? Oh, 80s, 80s. I, I, I was born in 76 and so I, I was there when it was a very small place. And you grow up thinking um, this is the capital of, the, of, of Australia because it is and then you think it's a city. And then I moved when I was, what, 21, I moved to Sydney and I was like, oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. No, this is because there's a there's a logic, there's a spatial logic to things. Oh, it started at the harbour and then grew out and then things, you know, intrinsically make sense to your body. In Canberra, things are set up, you know, it was all designed based on a combination of Geneva and Washington, D.C., and it's mm. it's lovely, but it does. there's no organic feel about it, incredibly wide streets, and um, but it's just essentially, as you know, a bunch of town centres joined together. But you would have been there, like, in the thick of work, in the political scene, you would have been living and breathing it. For me, it's growing up in the suburbs, you know, riding a BMX around at night, basically. That was all, all doing cricket in the driveway. Really, that's spent a lot of my of, of growing up time playing with my brother, who's seven years older than me. And see, I always understand people who don't understand cricket. They go, cricket's too weird, too boring, whatever. I'm like, totally. I wouldn't have got into it if my brother didn't force me to do it. And if I didn't want to be like him, 
growing up because it's so complicated but now I have a complete love for it but I'm, I don't begrudge anybody who finds it impenetrable because it is did, did you play a lot as a kid I mean I, I kind of read you had a bit of a tough start as a little boy um, with some health stuff like did that in did that impede your playing of the game when you were a teenager and when everyone else was going out there and joining clubs and so on I don't think so. My natural talent really shone through. <laughs> no, it's I, yeah. I was a sick kid growing up, so that just stopped me playing full contact sports. So actually, right. so cricket was it was a great thing to have. But I, I yeah, I'm, look, I rose to the dizzy heights of the second eleven, Morris College, Canberra. Uh, I was a wicketkeeper. <laughs> uh, I adored Rod Marsh growing up. In fact, I remember going. There was there was going to be um, some of the cricket team at that time would have been late eighties. It was Alan Border. Terry Alderman, Carl Rackerman, and Rod Marsh. I don't know why those group of guys were all making an appearance at the local shopping mall, the Tucker on Hyperdome, Hyper D, the oh, place to be. Not well. Place for you. Come on down, bring the family. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've got all the jingles, as I said. And I went down so excited to meet Rod Marsh. And I brought, you ever read that book he wrote, Gloves of Irony? I, I don't think I do, but I'll, I'll go with you on this. And I think what's most classic about it is that there doesn't seem to be any irony in it at all. It's just that it sounded like a catchy title, I'm sure. Mm. But I love Bacchus and I went down there ready for him to sign it. And I thought, well, everyone's got Alan Border's book here, the Ashes Glory book. Everyone wants that sign, but I'm going to be in the back. I'm going to find Rod and I'm going to get him to sign his old book that he wrote in the early 80s. He didn't show. <laughs> he didn't show. And uh, I went up heartbroken, asked a security guard, and he was like, uh, no, I don't think he's here, mate. I think he couldn't make it. He sends his apologies. I'm like, okay. And so I just went home devastated. And, um, you know, then I glommed on to Ian Healy, who I then loved after that. It's such a unifying thing for Australian kids growing up, isn't it? Not just Australian kids, but it feels like your experience mirrors mine in many ways where you just feel like you're part of this tradition, that cricket is with you from the moment that you're born and it will be with you till the day that you die. And it's just a, yeah. a, 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 it's a, it's a, it's a friend as much as a, a, a pastime. It weirdly is. And when I was, I was listening to your podcast you did here with Adam Zwa and, you know, his plug in his book, um, 12 Summers, and the way he identifies, I mean, that man is a cricket tragic. I mean, yeah. the way he, he nails his life moments to these, these cricketing moments, I just, I find that incredible, a bit of genius, actually. I can't quite, I don't have the facility for dates and numbers and times and stats. I just, right. I just don't have it. I'm, I'm, I'm quite stupid, actually. But so I, ha I have an appreciation of the experience of the game, but I can't remember a single. You couldn't, I, I can't remember anything. But um, yeah, it is that thing that just sort of stays with you, no matter where you go. I wonder what it's like for kids now growing up, because you've got not just an explosion of other crickets, but you've also got uh, women's cricket and women's AFL. Women's like women's sport is coming up in such a way. It's kind of a golden time for women's sport. Yeah. And I was talking, I was here, I'm here in LA and I was, I went to see the um, a soccer game the other night. It's at Wrexham, you know, the Wrexham yep. team. That, and they were playing Galaxy, the Galaxy here in, in LA. And I went along because I've got a mate who's connected with all that. And I was talking to uh, a lady there who's now connected with the Angels LA yeah. soccer team. And they've got a whole thick explosion there. And they've been, you know, co-owned by Natalie Portman or something. And it's like every, all the celebrities are doing it now. And I was talking to her about, this is a weird tangent, but I was talking to her about a female perspective of sport, that it's not actually about numbers and dates and things. It's about, there's a different access point. It's, it's, it's more about story. And, and that's, not exclusively a female domain, but I think a lot of men, particularly here in America, 
you've got like sports center and like let's talk about this and then 50 yard line blah, blah blah and it's like just leaves me cold like i don't know what anyone's talking about at any time the cricket i do more so but american sports not as much with all the stats and the breakdown and stuff but there's a there's a women's perspective now which is more to do that plugs in how i identify with cricket and sport but especially cricket which is about story and about an aesthetic appreciation of the game as opposed to any stats and I've right. got nothing against statisticians. It's just that I can't access that. No, no, that, that that's perfectly reasonable. I, I think that used to be kind of like a patronising way. I might have um, I might have fed into this trope occasionally about women's cricket being a nice little throwback because it didn't have all that over-commercialisation and it wasn't so mm. fixated on, I don't know, brute power and strength and all the rest of it. It was more about yeah. skill. And yeah. I, I identified with that and, and, and sort of lent into that when I first started covering cricket. I, I really enjoyed women's cricket, still do cover it a lot on this podcast and, and more widely as well. But now there, yeah. there is the, the gap is narrowing. Like we've had the women's ashes over here in the last few weeks. So my three-year-old, when watching the end of one of those matches, says, I want to smash it too. I'm like, wow, how cool is that? Like my three-year-old daughter is going to grow up. Yeah, sure, I'm her dad. But even if I wasn't her dad and she was just a, someone not necessarily linked to cricket, she'll never see cricket as a voice sport. And how cool yeah. is that? There'll be girls growing up who will never think of cricket as a boys' sport anymore. Amazing. I find that amazing. And I, I also take what you mean about the skill, you know, it, because it's a, almost a throwback, not a throwback, but there's a, there's a simpler version of the game being played there because it hasn't been cut up and all sorts of commercialised in that way. I remember recently watching, it was last year or the year before, I flew to Australia and I, I was in the hotel doing the quarantine for two weeks. And I switched on the women's state of origin. I was like, they're right to have a look. And weirdly, it was more visceral to me because with the men, it sounds, when they tackle, it sounds like machines smashing into each other or something. It's like in the movies when you hear someone punch, it's like two blocks of wood being smacked together. But when the women were tackling each other, it sounded like flat. It sounded like, like it sounded painful. <laughs> It, but it sounded human, whereas the, when the men hit each other, you go, oh, I can't even imagine what that is. Well, I've never survived a car crash. But with the women hit each other, you go, oh, Jesus Christ. Like listening to it and watching it was like it felt more violent in a way. Right. It was weird. Yeah. Uh, and even, I mean, the football women's World Cup's on at the moment. I feel more emotionally attached to the women's team than the men's team. Maybe that is to do with, again, maybe it's to do with the fact that I've got a daughter now and I'm, I'm viewing it through that prism. But to think yeah. that, you know, women's soccer and the Matildas would have the, I mean, I saw somewhere that three times as many people watched their opening game against Ireland on Friday than were watching the Ashes at the same time. So between, I'm not sure what channel I've got it on in Australia, but it's free to wear. And Channel yeah. 9 obviously have the, the Ashes and th tw three times as many people had that game on. I mean, that would have been unheard of a decade ago. Isn't that incredible? That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mentioned that the unifying thing. Social media can be a big part of, I reckon, watching cricket these days and being part of the broader conversation. If you, even if you're a bit isolated, like you are in America, where there's far, far fewer yeah. people. Yeah, I saw you getting yeah. stuck into John Cleese and and even and the Stuart Broad sledge to Alex Carey about all oh, you'll be remembered for and all the rest. You you weighed in there, weighed in there too. I can I can kind of imagine how you'd be just wanting to be part of that conversation and seeing these right. um, someone like John Cleese um, sticking his head out there and thinking I'm going to give him a whack on the way through i know and he's a hero obviously like <laughs> a, a comedy like like god and i was like no nah, fuck it because they were all so upset about it and the, the best i thing that the best yes. dismissal i was like I, i'm sure you've covered this ad nauseum in your travels but i, I couldn't believe the fuss that was being made about that it was just yeah. like because as a you know as a i was a keeper myself as a 
you know, eight month old, but, um, but that's standard practice for a keeper. It's just standard practice, you know, and, and I just thought they're really going overboard with this sort of thing. If the guy was obviously wandering out of his crease and it wasn't the first time. And I think someone dug up that, that video of Besto keeping over the stumps and, and yeah. like, and waiting for the guy to lift his thing and, you know, going, yeah, I mean, that's a more devious way of doing it. Like, but it's still a, a, a keeper's stock in trade to be trying to do that sort of thing. I was kind of amazed about it. But half of being on social media is, for me, is resisting replying to people. So for every tweet <laughs> I send, there's 25 I haven't, you know. There's that, there's that art of hitting – how I do it is, you know, when, when I'm dealing with um, people who have got very strident views about stuff and get stuck into me, which is fine. It's all part of it. But I write the yeah. reply, then delete it, and I find I don't hit send. I find that therapeutic. The actual process of typing out what I would say to that person makes yeah. me feel like I've done enough. Then I mute them or block them. Um, but Good that, work. But, but, you know, they, they, or probably mute more than block in my case. But I yeah. find the writing of the reply has some satisfaction within it. So maybe you can draw from that. That's textbook therapy. That's very. That's like you know, <laughs> writing a letter to to an ex or something, and then yes. sending, burning it in your yard. You know, with tears in the rain. That's good. That's a good move. I like that. Speaking of social media, what are we all going to do now? I mean, this is going to date yeah. the podcast. But are you sticking with Twitter? Are you with X? Are you going to Threads? I mean, I think what, what so. Like, I mean, I don't know how you feel about this, but I feel like I've just invested so much emotional, yeah, you know, so much time in Twitter that even yeah. though, yeah you know you're you're propping up the conglomerate of a crazy man in elon musk like but how can what like what's the alternative propping up another modern day billionaire oligarch in in, yes. in the guy over at facebook which is effectively threads and then you know i don't feel like there's a way out i feel like i'm a little bit trapped maybe user patterns will change in a way that we all end up somewhere else that hasn't hasn't got no link to to the billionaires but at this stage i i can't really self see myself leaving maybe. Twitter. maybe i'm a bit addicted to it as well like at some level um, in fact, that'd be um, underplaying it. I'm surely addicted to it because how often would you pick up your phone and scroll through your, your Twitter feed? In, in my case, far too often. Yeah. I mean, you've got a profile that means that people would engage with you in a completely different way due to, you know, having a high-profile actor. Do, do you find that it's um, a, a useful thing for you to check uh, your social media when you've done something creative or does that is that counterproductive for you? Because I know some people get charged up by it, I guess more extroverted people find the engagement online something that works for them and others find it really difficult. Same for cricketers. I don't mind it. I, I, I try and strive for balance in that. Like uh, I, I like checking, particularly when I put something out there just to see what the response is of, you know, someone who's got absolutely no reason to praise or condemn it. You generally get a fair or fairish take just to take the temperature of everybody. But um, it's helpful somewhat. Like, for instance, with the, with the show that my wife and I made, Colin from Accounts, that went really well in Australia. And I was, I was checking that onto the socials and then it went to the UK and it's gone very, very well there. And that's been, that's been wonderful. But it's a bit like, after a while, it's a bit like, eating something with no nutritional value. Like it's like eating fairy floss, you know, it's like it's good, but then ultimately you just, you're left with an empty stomach and a bit of a headache, you know, it's, you've got to detach from it at some point because it's not, particularly if we're looking to write more stuff, it's not a creative space. And the same would be true if it didn't go well, if I was reading online bad stuff, you've got to detach from what, you've got to get out of the audience basically in order to be creative. So it's only useful as a business tool in terms of seeing how the thing that you've made is floating out there, but it's not useful in terms of you, you don't want to build your castle on sand. I don't want to ever create something based on people's 
opinions of what I'm doing. That would be a backwards way of doing it. Yeah, but um, yeah, we're all addicted. Let's face it. Yeah, yeah. I think our brains are all a little bit, a little bit ruined, and the hard wiring's gone because of this. And in 20 years' time, it'll all be found yeah. just how badly. Anyway, um, yeah. enough yeah. gloom. You, you mentioned Colin from accounts. I mean, this has just been an extraordinary piece of work, hasn't it? I mean, I, I was before speaking to you today. I was. I was uh, comparing it in my mind to a, a cricketer who for all their life, like yeah, there are so many actors out there, right? I mean, there are so many people doing what you've done who've been duking it out for you know, 20, 30 or more years, trying to get the major role, performing in everything they can get their hands on earlier in their career and then being, I guess, more selective later on. But then you do something that's brilliant. You can walk out like Mitch Marsh did at Leeds a couple of weeks ago and make an Ashes century in as many balls. And he'll always yeah. be remembered by the Ashes 100 he made, made at Headingley. And it was a beautiful moment, right? Like Pat Cummins basically crying on the balcony, how much they love Mitch Marsh and all the rest of it. So it must be for actors who work and toil and slog and and sometimes it works sometimes you have high profile things that, that, are, that are rubbish I mean you know at home at Julia for example might fall into that category other times yeah. you might do things that are brilliant but don't catch fire and then something yeah. hits the sweet spot and this hit the sweet yeah. spot for you so spectacularly earlier this year with Colin from Accounts which I think last time I checked was the most watched comedy in the UK this year on the BBC yeah. which puts it in some kind of perspective like, are, how are you finding riding that wave when you have really become a, a household name again through a, a project that's all of your own and your wife's it's 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 fucking amazing, honestly. Like exactly as you say, I've been you know a, a, in this game for twenty years professionally, and tr always trying to make good things. And and but even when you make things of quality, you never know what's going to hit. You never know what's going to be you know um, received in in the way in which you want it to be received. And this is, and I've been in some things that have gone very well. But in terms of the fact that we made this as well, and we we were lucky that we got to run the show you know we we really controlled the tone of it from the writing of it to the editing of it and you know we had an incredible collaborative team around like talented people directing it and producing it with us and acting in it obviously so we got lucky to be able to make the thing that we wanted to make without too much external noise you know that the network binge and foxtel and they didn't they didn't give that in over note us or anything. They didn't go, yeah, but really you should do this and change that. You know, we've got a couple of notes. That's all. So we really left our own devices in a, in a way and they really trusted us. So when we, before we sent it out into the world, we were like, I mean, when you make anything, it's like, who's going to give a shit about this? I mean, you go through moments going, this is good. And then other moments going, who gives a fuck? Who's going to care about any of this? You know? And I think that's pretty normal. And then, but when we sent it out, we were like, look, who knows how it's going to go, but we know we like it. And and at the end of the day, that's all you can do. If you're happy with it, then then great. Anything else is kind of, is, is, is a bonus. And it went so crazily well, particularly in the UK. Like I was so happy with how it went in Australia because that's all you want to do is what you want to, you want your family to say you're a good boy. And that's, that's, that happened in Australia. So I was very happy. And then in the UK, I think people just didn't expect it. And because it went free to air, it went on the BBC. And the word of mouth just travelled like wildfire. And then so Harry and I heard about this and saw some on the socials about it. And then our manager over here in LA, he's got a connection to the BAFTAs because of another client of his. He went, hey, I represent, uh, you know, the guys who did come from accounts. Do you have a thing? And I'm like, oh, yeah, my God, get him over here and present an award. And we flew to London to the BAFTAs and we're like, what are we doing at the BAFTAs? And we <laughs> arrived. We arrived. And people were, it blew me away. People were like, oh my God, 
what are you doing? It was like we were old friends. I've never experienced anything like it. It was like people were, we were told it went well, but it was like next level. Like we were stopped by Melda Staunton on the red carpet going, oh, my God. <laughs> now, listen, I'm Melda Staunton and I love your show. And I'm like, I know who you are, mate. And then it was, it was, it was crazy. So it was a wild ride getting on that. But like I said earlier, you've got to detach from it at some point because it's not, it's real, it's real, but it's not real, real. And and to your point about actors slogging away, you know, I mean, yeah, that's what we do. Actors fucking slog away and it's down to skill, fashion, work ethic, drive, and a massive slab of luck. Like there, are, I've got, I came up with a lot of talented driven people and, um, you know, they're, they're hacking away. They're workaday actors. And that's, that's a flashback to, you know, growing up, you know, I want to be an actor and people are going, oh, I hope you've got a backup. I hope you've got a second job. And it's like, fuck off. But now as, a, as an adult, as, as I'm like, yeah, I, I understand that. I also still understand that if you don't have a fallback, you're never going to fall back. You have to stay with the thing. But uh, it's certainly not a smart it's not the smart money let's face mm, it going mm. down it's not the smart money and in fact it's not just acting for me is it because what are we 2023 like 10 years ago or so i started writing because because it's so disempowering waiting for the phone to ring and if i just stayed purely an actor i i i, I would have had to have a second job let's face it because i'm not uh you know i don't have all and i'm 47 now i don't have all you know it's like there's a window there and and it's not a, it's not it's not it's just a fucking shot in the dark if you get that call up as an actor. So I had to diversify, and I think actors do now have to do that. They start writing voiceovers. You know what else you can do, and that's why I came to the states as well because there is a there's a, there's that's Australia's tenth of the population of the states, and that's why it's a, a thriving industry here comparatively. And that's why Australians like me come over here to have a crack. It's not because we're passionate about American stories. It's because we want to make a good living. If you ever get a chance to return to London and hang out with Imelda, who's a lovely person, you should know her cricket link. Um, her husband, Jim Carter, um, yeah. lives adjoining my club. Well, what was my club? Hampstead Cricket Club, which is a mile from Lords. It's on the same slope as Lords that you'd be familiar with. One of the most yeah. picturesque, beautiful grounds in London. And their back gate is the cricket ground. And Jim is the Jim is the long-term chairman of Hampstead. And what I love about Jim, despite having been, you know, one of the most successful actors of his generation over here and a deep lover of the game too, is that, you know, it wouldn't be unusual to see Jim cleaning out the bathrooms on a Saturday night or, or on a Sunday morning after a day's cricket um, or, you know, really? helping clean the dressing room up or scoring for the fifth 11 or whatever it is. Like, he's a proper, serious cricket person. So Jim and Imelda, you know, regular fixtures um, there at Hampstead. So when oh, you come man. back next time, make sure. Now they love Colin from accounts. They take you down oh, to Hampstead. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Now, you, now you're old mates. <laughs> oh, yeah, old mates. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Hi, I'm Ebony Rainford Brent, and you're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. 
what you're saying there is so inspiring. Like, is there are so many creative people that go out there and would just love to have something that's all of their own working as well as this. When I watched it with my now wife, feels weird saying that. I've only been married a few weeks. We um. We immediately, thank you. We immediately thought of, I mean, we lo love catastrophe and love everything yeah. that those two do. And there's a similar kind of idea of meeting offline, like you and Harriet, who, I mean, the oddness of you being married in real life and writing the show, but meeting as strangers and falling in love on the program that, you know, people can watch that. But yeah. no one meets offline these days, right? And they do in catastrophe and they do in Colin from accounts. The, the yeah. principles are falling in love, having not met on an app, which is, basically impossible now in real life <laughs> i guess it is now i mean i i myself have been a serial monogamist so i've, I've never had to and, and i'm a, a middle-aged so i never i sort of missed the apps but um i gather it is and we talk about it a lot making colin and part of the idea is you know two people who meet each other in real life and um as you know you don't get to filter anything you don't get to choose anything in real life it's just about no one fits perfectly. It's just about embracing the chaos of what that is. And we upped the chaos with, you know, a nipple flash and, yeah. and car accident and crippled dog and all the, all the fun <laughs> stuff. But it's like, it's it's ultimately about two people, you know, go, accepting each other's fucking weirdness and messiness and, and embracing it because that's all you can do really, I think, ultimately, is just, is just accept that it all is chaos. There is no order, really, except for the small little bit of order we try and make in our lives. But it's not real and embrace what is there, which is chaos. Yeah, and I think that's being out of the apps because the apps, I gather, gives you a sense of control and a sense of order sure. and a sense of whatever that, that I don't think is especially helpful. No, no, it's it's a little bit preordained. It's like, yeah, the, what we were saying before about that that one thing, like without making this about me and putting myself in the middle of the story again, but I will. The thing no, I no, did, no. In, the thing I did in 2018 when I bought the radio rights, something you and I spoke about off air. I know yeah. that no matter what I do in my life, that will be something that gets mentioned at my funeral. Right, that is something that will define me forever because it was a, at the time a newsworthy and interesting and fucking ridiculous thing that happened. Right, yeah. so it applies for you creatively for the rest of your life. For the rest of your life, working and otherwise, people are going to be like, "Fuck, that's the guy that wrote Colin from Accounts." But has, have yeah. you sort of have you like taken that in? That you know, nah. the fact that you're the fact that you're up for all of these logies next week, and that the public will judge you accordingly in the usual way. You know, the most outstanding actor as well, which is a whole different thing. So it's not judged by the punters, but by the by the industry. Like, have you kind of come mm. to terms with the fact that I know you've been nominated for these things before, but this particular piece of work will live with you forever, and people will come up to you about it forever. I've never considered that. That's a crazy thought. That's a, that's a, I mean, that's some perspective. Fuck hell. I remember years ago being at my uncle's funeral. He died when he was 50 of cancer and they gave the eulogy. And I remember thinking, that's all it comes down to. It comes down to the people left behind and what they say about you. And I thought at the time I was thinking, you can sort of be an asshole. And as long as you do a couple of good things, who cares? <laughs> but I remember thinking, my uncle was a lovely man. I mean, he was a he was a he was a ragamuffin, but sure. But but I remember thinking, oh, there's no justice. You know, you grow up thinking, do X, Y, and Z, and that's the right thing to do, and this is how you live a life. That's that's kind of. I mean, you look. I suppose you search for order in, in, when you're growing up. You search for how things are. But ultimately, and I was brought up a Catholic. You know, I was brought yeah. up with a sense of all that shit, which is helpful stuff in many ways. But I'm a bit slow on the uptake. And it wasn't until I was in my 30s that I was like, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. How is this different to Santa Claus? And then and just slowly over time, I was like, 
Um, and I don't begrudge anybody having faith, but for me, I was like, oh, no, there's clearly nothing after this. So uh, this is it. And what what I do here and what I choose to do here and, and how I respond to the things, the cards that I'm dealt is really all there is. How did I get here? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I've, no, no, I've never thought about um, I'll be remembered for this. Fucking hell. That's a good thing. I'm, I'm not unhappy it about it. I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, I mean, it, it, it could be a lot worse, right? We, uh, and maybe that perspective you got with your uncle's funeral means that you are more inclined to do a project which is going to make people happy, right? Like any, you could take any job, right, as an actor. And by that, I mean, yeah. you, you, you've got a, a wide range of things that you could pursue, but you've pursued something that's fundamentally about sort of making people happy, whereas other projects may not be quite geared the same way. Although, um, of interest that you did get to play a young Rupert Murdoch, who, you know, fundamentally an egregious human being. But that was in that time when you seemingly were everywhere. I remember when I was still living in Australia, yeah. you are in that, you are in Offspring for a long time. The Letdown, which is, we, we watched um, probably when we were living in London, but nevertheless, it was before we had our first baby, we watched that and we're like fucking bracing ourselves. And thankfully we had a, a better experience than, than you guys did in the first oh season God, of that show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Was, but, you know, yeah. when you go through that glitch and other, other shows that you're doing that are getting mainstream take-up, that must have been nice for you realising that you had, at that stage of your career, some pretty good options. Yeah, that was great. And that was, you know, it was everywhere for a minute. I remember Dan Wiley, of all people, coming up to me because he, he was on a few shows at that time himself. He was like, mate, you're a bit overexposed, aren't you? And I'm like, <laughs> the fuck are you? Tell, tell me I'm exposed. But it was a good time. But but you're right. As an actor, you take all sorts of things, and that's part of the joy about being an actor. It's like, oh, whose skin can I jump into today? But as a creator, if I had to choose, because drama is a great thing, you know, because you get to. Um, it's all about human connection. It's all for me. That's why I'm. I enjoy less and less things that I see these days because there's so much stuff that doesn't consider the human experience. You know, it's just like you know superhero movies and that sort of stuff which nothing against any of this shit but for me as i as i live more i'm looking for the thing that i recognize about you know what, what art is which is a response to being alive you can argue that's what religion is about too and you see superhero movies you go oh okay i mean logically that the, the emotional logic of that doesn't resonate with me in any way I, that doesn't approximate human behavior in any way but i get it i get the story and that's fun and next thing, yeah cool cool but now i look for human something to resonate you know what i mean so drama can do that in a great way because you get catharsis you know they can do the horrible thing on screen so that you don't have you can feel you can experience it and then you don't go out and hit anybody but as a creator for me i think it's comedy because in my darkest moments and saddest moments in life, I'll always return to my favourite comedies because they're delightful. And that's the stuff that I find, that's the big picture stuff where I'm like, it's all a joke, isn't it? Like, it's, you can't take it too seriously. Like, that's where I love to sit. That's the best perspective because it's it does it's all kind of silly. And so I'll return to, I mean, Catastrophe is a recent one, but, you know, you've got yeah. The Office, All yep. the Towers. Even like you mentioned Working Dog before, like Frontline was a fucking genius. There's all these great comedies that, um, and Americans do it. Arrested Development, 30 Rock was great. You know, all this sort of stuff is just like stuff that delights and stuff that makes you feel connected. That's the shit that I'd rather be dealing with and, and dealing in day to day because it's, because it's helping rather than anything else. 
Zwa told me that you nearly actually got to meet Rupert Murdoch as part of your preparing to play him. I met him once in, in my former life in, in politics where we went up a lift about 80 floors at the Fox News building and, and has been put to me morbidly that what if you had have like knocked him off there and then? Yes, you would have spent the rest of your life in jail, but would have you served humanity's purpose a little bit better than you are gibbering about cricket? There, there, is some, there is some inherent logic there. But no, you, you nearly ended up in the presence of the guy you were playing. I did. I was um, I was fairly new to LA, and I was in a meeting at Fox, a general meeting, meeting a casting person, and Rupert was taking a meeting somewhere on that floor. And I mentioned that I'd played young Rupert Murdoch, and and she was like, "Oh, let me see if I can." And she went away, and she came back, and she went, "No, he's he's got to go. He clearly couldn't give a shit about meeting someone <laughs> like me." Um, it's funny, and my dad actually uh, was a journalist all his career, and he worked in the inaugural. Um, in, in the setup of the Australian, so he worked oh, for right. Rupert, um, and he had some dealings with him. And one of the, you know, that that show that um, I did, Power Games, where mm. I played young Rupert against Lockie Humes, Frank Packer. He, it, my dad, one of the best things to come out of the best thing for me to come out of it was dad was like, yeah, you would, you would just like him. You really captured him. And I was like, that's all I need. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Because when it came to award season, you talk about being nominated for awards. It was like battleship for awards all around me. It was Lockie and all these other guys were nominated and nothing, nothing for me. And I was like, <laughs> okay, okay. I really shouldn't have shaved back my forehead and it's been a half. To capture that, should I? That wasn't really because I also played Kim Beasley some years before that in uh, the telemovie Hawk. Oh uh, yeah, I've I, I, I forgotten about that. Um, that was shown during the 2010 campaign. So I was working yeah. in campaign headquarters at the time, and, and about half a dozen of us um, went back to one of our apartments in in, in Sydney. To it was like was it over two or three nights? Would I be right remembering it was a, I think it was a couple, a couple, yeah, a couple of parts. And, and, yeah, and we sat down and, and watched it. And I, I yeah, I didn't realise you were you were part of that ensemble as well. No, it was, uh, I remember I got the audition for it, uh, you know, this political thing about Bob Hawke, I was like, brilliant, I heard they want me to audition, and they're like, uh, Kim Beasley, I was like, you fucking, really? I mean, I'm not, I'm not tip-top shape, but come on, and they're like, look, it's young Kim, blah, 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 and I was like, that's crazy, and I went in and did it, and they were like, and I got the part, and I thought, what is happening? And then I got to talk to Kim, and he was like one of the loveliest human beings in the world, I'm a huge fan. But then I took it upon myself to gain weight. If I could build a time machine, I'd go back to 2010 and say, don't bother, mate, don't bother, because your metabolism will not thank you for it. Um, but I went and saw a nutritionist and uh, I said, yeah, how do I do this safely? And they're like, okay, so you have five meals a day and it's potatoes, it's starches, it's pasta, blah, blah, blah. And I did that for about two, three days. And I was like, I feel disgusting. And I hate myself and I'm not enjoying any of the meals. I think I'll just switch to McDonald's and, and donuts and at least I'll enjoy it. You know what I mean? So I put on, I don't know, maybe five kilos, not a lot. I mean, not worth it. And they gave me a padded suit and that sort of stuff. And I did it and it was just like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have done that. But it was, it's so hard playing a real life person. I always feel for these people who who, who play real people because invariably the lines are not written in the cadence of that human and then you've got you know you've got if you've got a pie chart you want to and that's that's kim beasley or rupert murdoch you want to be the pie you want to be as close to that as you can sure but then you're limited by the things they say you're limited by the lot the lines the way that they're written and in the end and the way you look and all that sort of stuff and in the end you've got about that thin slice of a pie that you could possibly approximate to be that human so you're lucky to get away with anything at all 
But yeah, I, I'd rather not do that again because it's too much like hard work. And I suppose, especially when it's a political leader who people know pretty well, when that was May yeah. 2010, I mean, Bomber had not been long out the parliament. And I'm glad you had a good experience with him as well because he is a beautiful man. Um, Gorgeous man. Him. I'm, I'm glad that that's the, the sort of experience you had as well. The, 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 my memory of the, the knock-on from that, my main memory of that, that miniseries was that Roxburgh plays Hawk mm. and mm. does you know, ball-tearing job as you'd expect. And oh, yeah. years later, years later... One of my best mates is one of my best mates is Reese Muldoon, uh, who, um, who who called me enthusiastically. One, I, I don't think he'll mind me telling this story. Nah, if he does, he won't, yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, and um, he called me one night saying, "I'm pretty sure I'm going to be cast in the Crown as Bob Hawke." It's gone. It has gone really, really well. Oh. I, I've, I've had this great audition. They love me. Yeah, you know, he knew Hawkey, so he was able to. You know, Reese was able to to do a great job with the um, in the editorial. You know, the audition process, I suppose. And then um, then they then they, they saw Roxborough playing him in in the miniseries, in and that Hawk. was that. Roxborough oh. wins. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, he was very good as Hawke. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, hard to, have, hard to have a look at a guy that's already played him once before as well, I suppose. Hold on, Reese. That would have been a dream job for Reese. I only know yeah. Reese sort of played it A to as well, but he's knowing, you know, his his labour yeah. uh, affiliation and his love of all that sort of stuff, that would have been like a dream gig for him. He, he took the he took a brilliant catch off me at first slip in a game we played out here before my wedding a few weeks ago. He, he, he caught it in his armpit, um, which was okay. a, a lovely yeah. moment for both of us to bring it back to cricket. <laughs> that sounds um, about it. I said before that you were everywhere for a while there. Probably the real sign now of ubiquity in Australia is having a guest role in Bluey. When I tell oh. my daughter later today that you played, that you play Rad uh, in Bluey, she's yeah. going to be very excited. Um, you know, you mentioned before that your dad getting to appreciate your work with something he identified with. I suppose your daughter now being able to see that you play one of the great roles in Bluey. Um, that uh-huh. episode with, with the babysitting it with Frisky, I think a lot of us, you know, that's a really nice adult ep of Bluey. Um, yeah. that, that must have been brilliant getting the phone call from the ABC. As soon as I got the, you got an email from my agent, I was like, oh, of course, Bluey's amazing. And I know... I've worked in the past with Daly Pearson, who runs Ludo. He's one of the executive producers on Blue. And I was like, yeah, fantastic. And went in and um, it was, was like, of course, just whatever they want. And they're like, here's the fee. And I'm like, don't worry about the fee. I mean, of course, yes, I'll take a fee. <laughs> don't negotiate. Let's just do it. And it's easily, easily one of my more popular jobs I've ever, like people love Love that. Love that fucking show. It's everywhere. I mean, we dressed Joni as Bluey for last Halloween here in the States, but she doesn't care for TV yet, weirdly. She's just ah. too busy. She's almost two, and we try and put on Bluey, and we have for a while, and various other things. There's some stuff she'll watch. So she'll watch the opening credits of Bluey, and then she'll just drift off. But we, I mean, we are dreaming of having a child who would just sit and watch the television. She won't do it. So it won't take long. It won't take. Two's about the time when Winnie first took to Bluey, and yeah. I mean, you know, we have she and I. I mean, it's it's fucking pathetic at one level, but gosh, it's gorgeous. We have matching Bluey pajamas, she and I, um, oh, and we what? It is it is almost sickly sweet, isn't it? Oh, and, well, and the other thing you can do with her, with Joni, is um, watch the cricket episode with her when she's. Have you had a chance to catch this yet? The the cricket app that was released a few weeks ago. No, no, I haven't. We haven't. Oh, uh, when when you do, maybe that's a VPN thing because you know uh, I, I found a way around to watch it. It's not actually released anywhere but Australia yet. But yes, Jeff and I, I devoted about of, of season yeah. three that isn't released in the states. That's yet. it. 
This is right towards the back of that. And when you watch it, I guarantee you will sob. I mean, it is very difficult to watch this episode and not cry if you come from the tradition that you and I are from of having followed the game as a kid and how important it is through the generations and the little nods to Bradman and other bits and bobs that you'll, you'll pick up on straight away being a cricket lover and you'll sit I down with your lie. daughter and you'll watch it and she'll say to you, I want to watch it again and again and again and it is so gratifying to have that little link to cricket, small as it might seem, but through this, as you say, this television show, which is just, it's... Well, didn't the New York Times say it was the best show made full stop last year? A cartoon yeah, about yeah. blue healers in Australia. It's stunning stuff. You know what? It's all written by Joe Brum. He, he's written everything. Like, <laughs> right. the writing is, like, super fucking sharp and, and mm. wise and funny. It's unbelievable, really. And it gets – it's so funny. I'm, I'm sure you've had this experience where – you know, the kid will leave the room and, you know, the parents will be sitting there watching the show. Like yeah. Harry and I have done that several times because as we've established, Johnny doesn't watch it. And we'll sit there and we'll watch. I remember the chess episode. I don't remember if you, if you remember that one. But the dad dad wants to um, teach the kids chess and they're yep. too young and they're fucking around. And then in the end, um, uh, Chili, the mum, says, look, your dad just wants to, you know, teach you this so that uh, when he's not there you know you can you can protect yourselves and i was like oh god and just yeah. started like it just melts me every time like and and another one got harry as well you just you just end up sobbing at bluey it's really quite a strange phenomenon <laughs> yeah there's there's this group of episodes like sleepy times the other one isn't it i'm not sure if that's one you're familiar with but when trying to teach bingo how to sleep in her own bed uh, without i guess without bluey in there i think that's the, the conceit of the episode but yeah you know yes. you know it, 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 good luck being anyone who's in, involved with young people and not letting that sort of tear you apart and, and, it, and i guess the other thing with bluey is would i be right in saying and tell me if i'm misreading this but would i be right in saying that eventually rad has to marry frisky and thus there must be a huge wedding episode coming up or in the offing at some stage surely that's a that that's that's part of a storyline they'll continue with is there, there is certainly, look, I've forgotten because we recorded it so long ago because it's, because they do the recording and they do all the animation and they do all the right. photos and it takes long to come out. But we definitely recorded something like that, okay. which I think was going to drop. Have you watched all the all the season three stuff? On Blue? I, rec I reckon all I might have watched half of it, but I don't seem to recall. Maybe this has already played out in, in season three where they've, they've There might be married. something like that in there, or maybe it's for a future thing. I don't know. But okay. I think um, I, I, I think the frisky rad, uh, I mean, look, people are saying Romeo and Juliet, not me. Others have said that. Um, but um, <laughs> I don't think others have said that. But, yeah, I think something like that. Surely, surely that's got to come out, yeah. And in terms of the, the week you got ahead of you, I'm mindful we should we should uh, wind this up soon. We've, uh, we, we shouldn't keep you all day. But, uh, you know, you will be waking up, setting your alarm for 6am and watching Australia in a perfect world, from your perspective, go on and, and win the Ashes here for the first time in, in 22 years. And who knows, you might mm -hmm. be able to wake up with Joni in the morning and, and have her on your lap and watch a bit of this. Well, the sad thing is, I mean, no, anyway, no, because she doesn't care. But um, yet, <laughs> I will be Harry and I are flying back for the Logies. We've got a three night, so we'll be in Sydney ah. during during it. So it'll be a late night situation for us. But we're yeah, and we're leaving Joni here with a nanny. It's it's fucked up, but it's not as fucked up as flying fifteen hours there and fifteen hours back with a very busy. Last time we flew her to Australia, fifteen hours. Uh, flight or maybe it was, yeah, 15 hours. She slept for 40 minutes. Mm. So we don't, nobody needs that. Nobody needs that. So we've got a very trusted nanny who's going to look after for a few nights. But uh, yeah, okay. I'm going to watch it all um, as much as I can um, from, from Sydney. 
jet lag might help you there. It tends to when flying in that direction, yes. doesn't it? So you, you, you might yes. be okay to stay up till four o'clock or whatever it is. And you'll probably yeah. be up that late at the Logies anyway. Uh, uh, we're going to run a little social media campaign around you and Harry, why not, about your various categories that you're nominated for. Just in a nutshell, how does one, I know it can't be cutting the coupons out of the magazine anymore. How, how does one go about voting for you and for Harry uh, in the Logies next week? between now and next you're week. You're very kind, mate. You're very beautiful. Thank you. It's, um, no, well, we're nominated for, all together, we're nominated for four uh, awards, but three wow. three of them are for most outstanding, which is yep. peer nominated. I don't know who that panel is or whatever. So <laughs> public can't vote for those. The only one you could vote for is the most popular actor, yep. which I'm sure to be voted for. And uh, look, Harry, Harry was not nominated for most popular actress. And look, it's neither here nor there. Like, I don't know why he didn't get up, Adam, to be honest. Uh, kind of hurtful. But um, what you can do is you get online, TV Week, and you can vote that way. Okay. Right up until the red carpet or something. If, you, if you're so inclined, look, that'd be lovely. It'd be, it'd be my uh, mother-in-law sent me the odds because they're, they're running some odds, of course, yeah. it's Australia. And I'm, uh, I'm second. I'm second uh, behind um, Mark Coldsmith who's um, a stunning, young, Indigenous, gorgeous leading man. I think he was in Mystery Road Origin. Um, and so he, the smart money is on him because he's, he's also nominated for Gold Logie. Uh, well, he, that's good enough then. Well, fuck him. If he's going to win the Gold Logie anyway. That's what I just thought. Like, come you on, win what the about silver? What about sharing yeah. it around? Yeah. Come on. We're all about... He doesn't need gold and silver, does he? We're all socialists here. We're all egalitarian. So why don't yeah. we... So we, we will get behind... Maybe it'll be... We can move you from second to first with the weight of the loyal final word audience. We'll give it a red hot go. Um, so no, all that information... Can. I don't doubt it. Yeah, well, we're going to try. We're going to try. Hey, it's been... Patty, it's been brilliant, brilliant talking to you. Fan, obviously, yeah, of your work. And um, hopefully we can um, keep this conversation going and have you part of the final word into the future. And for now, enjoy your trip back to Australia for the Logies. Very best of luck and enjoy the final test. Thank you, mate. You enjoy the test too. You've got the best seats in the house, uh, as far as I'm concerned anyway. So thanks again for having us. And um, yeah, all the best, man. This is the final word. Thank you again to Patrick Bramall for taking the time out before flying back to Australia uh, for the Logies with his wife, Harriet. Pretty cool that he's up for the, the Silver Logie for Most Popular Actor. And as we touched on at the end there, we'll run a bit of a campaign on social media. Why not? You'll be able to vote for him. We'll have a link in the show notes. I'll, I'll work all of that out before we, we publish the app. If you like these kind of interviews, we're going to have plenty more of them coming up over the next few weeks, especially through August when there's a little bit less cricket than we've had to talk about of late with Jeff and me. We're both taking a little bit of time off, but uh, mixed in between that, there'll be a bunch of really interesting and fun interviews with people inside and outside of the game. If you want to support us in, in those endeavours and everything else that we're doing leading into the Men's World Cup in October, November, back to Australia, and on and on it goes, um, patreon.com forward slash the final word. Uh, by joining us on Patreon, you automatically get access to our Discord page, which, um, as we always say, is the nicest part of the internet. I've got a feeling this also will go up just before our live show uh, with Stephen Finn at the Phoenix in Soho on Wednesday night. And if you're listening to that, listening to this rather, before that live show, there are still a couple of tickets left as I record this. So uh, don't be shy. We'll have the link to that in the notes as well. Come and spend the night hearing uh, about the story of Stephen. It's a really good one. Uh, he did a live show with us in Adelaide a couple of years ago and we loved it. So we're pleased that we can have you back as a guest over here in the UK as well. Um, Patreon.com forward slash the final word also gets you half price tickets for that live show. All right, I'm going to leave it there. The next time you'll hear from Jeff and me will be our preview show ahead of the Oval Test match and on and on it goes. It's going be a very busy week in South London. This has been the final word. Thanks for listening. I had to go.